Right, MechWarriors, well in episode 6 today we are bringing you a look at the upcoming MechWarrior Online World Championship Finals. And now as you know they are being played live uh, at MechCon this year on the 1st and 2nd of December. Uh, and that's between the top 3 teams that finished up. Uh, Eon Synergy, uh, EMP, Imperial and 1st Jaguar Guards JGX. And now this year has been a little bit different. Uh, and the comp this year was limited to pre, I think, 3025 tech. Uh, and of course it was stock loadout. So um, whilst it has been a little bit different, we have seen some pretty awesome action. Uh, and we did want to take the chance to congratulate those other teams uh, that had competed as well. Uh, so that included uh, 228th Blackwatch, uh, Phoenix Legion, 228th Swamp Foxes, uh, Isengrim, uh, Russian Clan Jade Falcon, uh, JF, uh, Dudes Club, 228th Wild Ones, um, representing from here in Australasia, uh, Smoke Adders, and 42 The Answer. So yeah, definitely some outstanding pilots, uh, some outstanding games, uh, and well done to all of those teams and all of those pilots uh, that did compete. Speaking of top comp pilots and part-time grognards, uh, how'd you find captaining a team in this year's World Championship, Captain Cat? <laughs> Bloody grognards again. <laughs> hey man, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was a bit hit and miss for us, quite honestly. I mean, we've I think I've talked about it previously, but you know, um, there was for playing in the AP region, there was a quite a limited selection of teams for us to play against. So we ended up, you know, forming up every Sunday lunchtime trying to get some well matched games, um, which was you know sometimes successful. I, I did enjoy um, one aspect of it, which was sort of pouring over the um, the list of available mechs and trying to ascertain from, you know, <laughs> a bunch of uh, mm, marginal uh, mechs, which ones were the least crap. It was kind of <laughs> vaguely, <laughs> vaguely satisfying in some uh, uh, sadistic way, masochistic way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, we have just um, finished up uh, Battle for Midway, which is an MRBC offshoot, and that has been quite cleansing in that regard, being able to you know bring whatever mechs and builds we wanted. <laughs> so that's been good. It was a different challenge, of course, but um, yeah, there was certainly still some decent action. So I'm um, I'm sure other teams face those uh, same challenges, particularly the captains. But yeah, it, it was a fun time, if uh, if a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. Well, in today's episode, uh, we were really lucky to be joined by the voices of competitive uh, MechWarrior and the shoutcasters that you will see and hear uh, at MechCon when you tune in. So none other uh, than Bandit B17 and MDM00. Uh, I mean, if there's two guys you want to talk about complay, it's these two guys. And got to be honest, Captain, I was fanboying out a little bit <laughs> and I was really kind of blown away with the uh, insight that they were able to give us into, into the team's uh, and into the kind of different challenge this year. Uh, we just watched the seeding finals yesterday, uh, and one of the takeaways for me was just how much of what they had told us um, played out in, in those matches that we saw. So, uh, you know, particularly the kind of cap and hold 
stuff uh, and just how important the the light play was. Yeah, and if you guys haven't um, gone and uh, checked out those games already, I'd, I'd uh, uh, suggest that you do. They're on uh, they're on Twitch there on the uh, Piranha Games channel, and I mean, you know, it's a great preview of what we can expect to see. We haven't seen some of these teams face up against each other, so it's a it's a good watch, and there's some really great games in there actually. Yeah, lovely little tasty. There were some um, some good games in there. Now, we did want to mention a couple of other things very, very quickly. Uh, there is an article that Sana uh, just did with um, Bandit and MD, and um, they talked to them about um, the upcoming finals as well. So, yeah, we would really encourage you to give that a read. A good bit of info in there as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll leave the, the link to that in the show notes. And now, the other thing we did really quickly want to talk about as well is the uh, Vapor Eagle, uh, which was released last week. Captain Cat, how are you finding that um, sexy bird? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a real powerhouse, isn't it? It's uh, you know, it's a clan mech, so it's perhaps not as durable as some of its sort of inner sphere brethren. But being able to take those assault level builds on a fifty-five tonner is a bit of a treat. In the I think it's the Vapor Eagle A. You can take four SRM sixes with Artemis and an LBX twenty and a fifty-five tonner with jump jets. So basically, you can jump around shooting Atlas Alphas at people. Not quite, but because yeah. it's clan, but yeah, it's it's pretty insane. Yeah, very good. Worth a look, worth a buy. So uh, if you are on the fence at all, uh, definitely, definitely uh, part with your money for a mech pack on that one. Yeah, it's a thumbs up from me. Right, so um, before we did head into the conversation with Bandit and MD, uh, just a reminder to check out Nerdy Absurdy on SoundCloud. Uh, that is the funky cat that helped us with our intro. Um, plenty of other cool music uh, at his SoundCloud account. Uh, we will leave the link to that. So do give that a click and do check out his funky beats. All right, enough from us. Let's talk MechWarrior Finals. And remember, make the Timberwolf great again. So MechCon's just around the corner, uh, and today we are lucky enough to be joined by a couple of Mech Warrior superstars, and they're going to help us preview those finals. Uh, now look, if you have watched any comp games, any Mech Warrior at all, ever, uh, and then the voices that you are about to hear will be really familiar to you, and I'm not talking about myself and Cat. Today we're lucky enough to be joined by none other than Shoutcast Extraordinaires Bandit B17 and MDM00. Or MD, as most people know him by. So, yeah, welcome to the podcast, guys. Welcome, guys. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Right, to be so fair, most people, uh, most people refer to him as the other guy. Let's be fair. Refer <laughs> <laughs> to him as the good-looking one. Yeah, that didn't take long. <laughs> That's how it works with Cat and I as well. I'm usually referred to as the good-looking one. <laughs> hey look um, thanks for joining us today guys and uh, yeah in a couple of weeks time um, obviously Metcon happens uh, and at Metcon we see the culmination uh, of this year's world champs uh, there's three teams that will feature there and uh, we're very much looking forward to seeing how that plays out uh, and of course what we wanted to do uh, was give our listeners a chance to uh, get a bit of a preview or a bit of an insight into uh, what they can expect uh, what those teams might bring to the finals. Uh, it has been a little bit of a different world championship this year, so uh, we thought it might be a good idea to talk with a couple of experts uh, and uh, get your guys' take 
uh, on uh, what this year will pan out like. So we'll get into that really shortly, but I mean, there's not going to be too many people out there that probably aren't familiar with um, both of you guys and uh, your, your handsome faces um, and sultry voices. But um, can you guys give the listeners a bit of a um, outline about yourselves? You know, what got you into MechWarrior and, um, you know, how did you become kind of the shoutcasters for the game? Well, uh, MechWarrior in general, uh, I started with MechWarrior 2 way back in the day when I was a kiddo. And uh, I know my dad had it on PC and I went through MechWarrior 2, MechWarrior 2 Mercenaries, Ghost Bear, you know, all that fun stuff. It was fantastic and I was super addicted to it. Um, Then I started reading the novels. Uh, I think my first one was the Jade Falcon trilogy. I know I wanted to name my firstborn kid Aiden for the longest time until it apparently became the most popular boy name ever. And then I said, screw that, whatever. But uh, ended up, um, you know, playing MechWarrior 3, MechWarrior 4, uh, dabbled in a little bit of Living Legends just because I happened to have Crisis at the time. but then I saw, you know, the the preview for MechWarrior 5 and it was like, oh, my God, it looks amazing. It looks awesome. And signed up immediately for their splash page. They had a place you could put in your email for notifications and was just waiting patiently for that. And then MechWarrior Online came out, popped on, play a little bit, uh, thought it was really cool. The, this was back when, you know, there was Jenner bowling and stuff like that. People getting knocked on their butts and still had a little bit of fun with it. I think my PC ended up crashing though, so ended up stopping for a while. Popped back on a few years later and uh, looked for, you know, got on, played a little bit, and was like, I need to just get into a team. You know, I need to to play for a team because that seems to be what I'm missing with this game to really make it fun. Looked around, saw some recruiting posts in the forums, and ended up finding Marine Max. That was my first team uh in mech warrior online and that's they had a competitive squad and uh, that's where i met mr mdm yeah i actually uh outranked bandit on marine mechs and (laughs) was in it before him just want to point that out but uh, i got a little bit of a different story i guess from most people coming into the game i actually started with mech warrior 4 mercenaries and that was the only mech uh, I had played before online, and I know I just spoke blasphemy in front of all the podcast listeners, but it's true. <laughs> and I think uh, for me, I'd like to say I was inspired by, you know, the silky sweet voice of George the Dew as Duncan Fisher in MechWarrior 4 um, in Solaris, which, by the way, he is a VIP at MechCon. He's been there before and is an awesome dude. If you go, please go up and say hi to him. Uh, bother him, tell him MD sent you, and uh, he'll be really mad at me. <laughs> he's so humble, though. <laughs> he, he's a great guy, honestly, um, and a lot of fun to to meet and hang out with. But, yeah, I, I kind of, after MechWarrior 4 Mercenaries, you know, played for a while. Then there was that gap period I didn't didn't play and uh, found MechWarrior Online. Uh, joined up maybe seven years ago now gosh it's been a while and uh if any of you guys have seen the beefs video of the party back which is a hilarious video back uh back when he was pumping out all those great uh, videos not that he's not doing that now but some of those old ones are just so funny um it's a classic it's classic but it has the uh the polygons the polygon bug i had the polygon bug uh, when i first started playing and i wound up stopped playing because uh, i couldn't figure out how to fix the bug and so maybe six months later i came back and like bandit 
decided I needed a unit, found the Marine Mechs, got into competitive play. Uh, Bandit joined a little while after. And then, um, you know, we played for a while. We started getting into drop calling, things like that. And uh, PGI released for the first time their private lobby feature. And I think it was Bandit's idea came, you know, came back and said, hey, you know, you want to try shoutcasting some matches? And uh, that was basically it. Yeah, they uh, they introduced spectator tool um, for the first time, so we were able yeah, to that's what it was. hop in. You know that immediately, and I think it was actually Doyle's idea from MRBC. Uh, Doyle, of course, the creator of MRBC, longtime uh, creator with him and his girlfriend uh, Shell, who made the website and stuff, is pretty much the best uh, third party league in. MechWarrior Online, uh, he put out a call. He's like, hey, we finally got a shoutcasting tool. We'd like to do shoutcasting. And this wasn't the first shoutcasting there was in MechWarrior Online. They, I know they had the War Room and stuff with Sirithrax, um, where they would uh, do... And back in the day, I think they used to do sync dropping for yep. competitive matches. And then I think they would do suicide spec where they would, uh, wow. you know, they'd suicide their mechs and then watch mechs. Or I, I think at some point PGI graced them with the ability to do like the a spectator like tool, almost like it was a, a cheat or hack or something like that. But it was a PGI allowed one. They had to, I think, go into a third party client or something like that. But they finally were able to start getting into their spectator tool and it looked way different. It was it was pretty difficult to use. And but they made the best of it and it was really great. Uh, and that was kind of the intro to shoutcasting. That's, I think, where Doyle got the idea like, hey, this is finally fully supported by PGI. I want some casters to start casting some matches from RBC. Me and MD, I think we had, what was it, one or two seasons of MRBC under our belt at yeah. that point? Uh, yeah. it was it was beyond the deets days so i think we had taken over for drop calling and everything at that point we had a full season under our belt after that and then uh i'm like hey you know we kind of know what we're doing with with drop calling do you want to you want to try shout casting for mrbc so i just timidly raised my hand and said we'll give it a shot why not we'll, you know see what happens and uh you know i guess the rest is history we just grow grew up i mean we've been doing this together for four years now i think uh yeah four years so we had a, we had a year before doing uh doing uh, the first MechWarrior online world championships so yeah four years of of casting now since that tool's been released and stuff and it's been a lot of fun it's been a whirlwind and it's been just crazy how much support we've gotten from the community you know we we always felt like because we came from the community and we were community casters and we cared about what the community wanted and thought and stuff like that that we were just uh, a nice bridge to to fill that gap that was missing there you know and this this is on streaming on twitch yeah on the mrbc league channel was where we pretty much got our debut and uh you know with the support of um a couple key players like uh we got the caster tool from Sirthrax. well he they they gave us the tool from farpanoodle which is just a javascript slash uh, json utility that you could load up into obs and it allowed you to put up overlays with you know which you know oh, three to two or something like that for a match and that that alone compared to just throwing up like an ms paint image or something or some text on the screen 
that alone was such a huge leap, I think, in production value. Uh, and then I was able to go in because I'm not a programmer, but I'm a tinker. So I like to mess with stuff. I understand syntax, but I don't create things. But I went into his program and learned his code and was able to grow it to start uh, fitting the rule set of MRBC and start adding new stuff like the the map strat overlays with the help of shell and just we really put a lot of effort to try and make it look good to the audience and make it readable and make it exciting to watch and I think that's kind of what set me and MD apart is is kind of uh, just uh, I guess trendsetters or whatever in the shoutcasting area because we got we laid a lot of the framework for what we expected from shoutcasters and you know especially in the MRBC rule sets and stuff coming up with uh, rules and regulations and how to act appropriate on stream and all that stuff and just a, a pr- overall production quality side of thing and and then we turned around and then started trying to get all these other casters on board with it and a lot of good casters have come out of it too and we've it's been a blast just seeing these guys grow as well more casters the better in my opinion but uh it's it was all about just giving the audience the best possible experience yeah, I think that's probably one of the best things about it is that it is authentic, you know, and, and you talked about um, you guys kind of forged the way and, and added some production value and some kind of structure and professionalism. I mean, it's easy to get pilots that know what they're talking about. I think it's pretty hard to get shoutcasters that can cast the game and, and you know, keep the audience engaged. Um, you know, MechWarriors is a pretty complex game. And so translating that in real time, uh, you know, isn't the easiest thing to do. So for a potato like myself, it's, it's good to to have those people there speaking about it. But, you know, you guys are authentic and a lot of the shoutcasters that have followed are that same kind of thing. You know, you get the feeling that they know and play the game. And, I, you know, I think that's a nice kind of point of difference. I think it would be really weird if somebody else flew the camera and I had to cast off of what they were looking at. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I had to learn, obviously, how to get good uh, camera angles and try and see through the audience's eyes as to what they want to look at and what angles they want to see and stuff like that. But like the nice thing about it is being in control of the camera. It's really easy for me to look at what I want to talk about right now. And so that kind of blends well. But like if somebody else, and I know there was discussion with it at Metcon and stuff about maybe having MD be the cameraman or something like that. But, you know, I'm, it would be weird to me to be talking about what I'm watching instead of what I'm seeing kind of thing, if you know what I mean. So it's, it's, it's been a, it's actually, I think worked in my favor that I'm in control of it just because it, it makes things a little bit more instant. Like I can be like, let's look over here and then instantly be there where I want, where my brain's telling me I want to be. But I've done enough in our own practices to know that it's, it, it is pretty challenging to, to drive the camera around. And also I I'm often blown away by you guys ability to multitask where you can, you know, be tracking the progress of the game the strats being employed, the health of all the mechs, you know, flying and, and showing us a good am- angle of the action. You know, there's a lot of multitasking and, and not missing some of those major engagements as much as possible. There's a, there's a lot of skill going goes into that and some good multitasking. Yeah, definitely as much as possible. I mean, we're, we're of course not infallible, but the nice thing about it is when you know a couple mechs are in this general vicinity of each other, I always try to keep one eye on there. You'll sometimes see my camera angle kind of keep them off in the corner because if I see those dots come together, 
thankfully they have kind of a sprint button in the uh in the shoutcaster tool so i can zoom across the map at 100 miles an hour to try and catch what i'm about to miss those are the exciting times when uh, you know you suddenly there's a light fight happening you know on the other side of the map and you have to rush across and and see how it's going to go and you know i'm constantly amazed at the the multitasking but that you guys also keep an uh, an eye not only on what's happening but potentially what should happen I mean, I, I struggle to follow that as a spectator to say, you know, where should they go from here? But you guys know the maps and know the strats pretty well, and you guys can talk to where it might go. And that's, you know, I, I, as a viewer, I really enjoy that. I think a lot of that came from both of our experience uh, as being drop callers. Uh, it's invaluable experience. I think if anybody's on a team, you know, if they're just a, a grunt that's a shooter, you know, it's it's nice that you can kind of just focus on what you're doing and you can worry about your teammates after the fact, yada, yada. But when you're a drop caller, you're you're worried about everything that's happening at the field even and including yourself fighting as well so that having that experience in in and stuff and even back into when i used to play competitive counter-strike and stuff like that being the kind of the caller for those teams as well all of that culminated in in making it uh, almost natural for me to kind of see where the ebb and flow of the battle is going and then from there just being able to articulate that to the audience uh if you it was kind of just a, a natural progression, I think. And you, you need that for a game like MechWarrior. You know, it is somewhat slow moving, but it's so complicated. And, um, you know, within a team, you'll have different team members doing such different things. It's fantastic to be able to have someone that can kind of translate that for you before it happens so that you can watch for it because otherwise, you know, you miss it if you don't uh, understand. The other secret that Bandit's not sharing that, that helps at least the two of us out is kind of the history of our team, right? I mean, as we talked in the opening, we were both uh, drop callers for Marine Mechs. Marine Mechs, for those of you who aren't part of the competitive scene when we were playing, uh, you know, was was a, a decent team, but there were certainly moments when we got moved up to divisions where we were uh, overmatched in terms of, of pilot skill and things like that. And so as drop callers, you kind of have to be a little more creative with your strategies, what you're trying to do. And so that helps give us kind of that experience with some different perspectives, different things that we're seeing. But I think the other thing then is is going from that drop caller into a shoutcasting role. And especially as me and Bandit have seen, you know, four years worth of this at all levels from casting MRBC, you know, Div E matches, which can be, a ton of fun all the way up to, you know, world championship finals where it's, you know, two heavyweight prize fighters, you know, going at it sort of thing and seeing the, the range of tactics used over those four years builds on kind of what we already had from drop calling with standard strategies, as well as, you know, some of our harebrained, harebrained ideas that, you know, we had to come up with as drop callers for Marine mechs as well. One interesting thing about spectating, um, mech warrior is um you know from a from a player's perspective you're always participating and viewing everything uh from first person within the mech um and it, you get a really different perspective from the god's eye view you know that there, there, there's stuff there that you sometimes it looks obvious what a team should do because you you can see everything that's happening and where all the other teams are moving and from a player's perspective you got sometimes a lot less insight into all those movements and things like that. But I think um, one thing that's, it's, it's not quite lacking, but it, it's, it's a way I always appreciate is when the shoutcasters can follow the action 
in within the cockpit, and that's something that seems quite of a big challenge to be able to integrate into the the shout casting of the games. Yeah, we uh, we struggled with that a little bit early on um, in our career, where you know it was, it was a big thing. Like we want to see more cockpit, we want to see more cockpit because you watch competitive Counter Strike and stuff like that, and that's all you see is from their perspective for the most part. Uh, what's going on? You see, they point and they shoot and they're accurate and they kill. Uh, and that that is definitely, I think, there's a, a great place for that. Um, there were some technical issues that prevented us from using cockpits more often. First off, early on, anyways, uh, the procedure required to get in and out of cockpits, and not only that, but get in and out of the correct cockpits, was a little archaic, slow. Really, was kind of interrupting the action. Uh, we played around with doing a little bit of picture in picture where MD would try to get in the cockpits and I would have his view off into the corner and it was kind of nifty for a time, but then we're not in the same room. So his would always be a little bit behind and sometimes even worse if we had any lag than suddenly the stream lags and now his screen showing stuff from a minute ago. So there was, there was, um, we were definitely trying to integrate it as much as possible, but getting into the cockpit from my perspective, what we found is that when I would be in first person, more people would complain that they want to see the overall battle. You've got, I wouldn't call them the minority, but you'd have like 40% of the people that want nothing but cockpit views. And then the rest of the people, especially I think the people that, are a little bit more on the casual side or maybe not uh, super uh, high tier div a players, you know, they, they like seeing the overall battle. And I think that's because like you hit it on the head, it's a unique perspective. You don't get to see that battle when you're playing or that angle when you're playing, you, you don't get that top down view and it's a unique view that we can show. And only we can show uh, because if you're watching like a player streaming, you don't get that top down. You just see their cockpit. Uh, and so that's, I think what people liked coming around for. And we, we repeatedly tried to work first person in more and more often. Uh, and it, it almost was being rejected by the general audience. So what I try to do now, especially because PGI, they have still been putting development, time in some features that we've been requesting uh not necessarily as fast as i'd like but still i have a laundry list of things i asked them for and they're slowly getting some stuff put out one of the big ones was having a crosshair on the screen and they actually integrated this um the feature last year for the world championship in the tournament client i could look at a mech and hit a button and jump into its cockpit and then to me that's a huge game changer that is a huge game changer being able to look at a guy, say, I want to see what he's seeing, jump in. Now, they didn't have a crosshair, so I was actually using like a dollop of makeup on my screen. Even at World Championships in at MechCon, I'd put some makeup. <laughs> it was like, I saw the nearest woman and said, hey, do you got a purse? Can I borrow some like eyeliner or something? And put a dot in the middle of the screen. So I had that crosshair then to, to uh, figure that out. They actually put a crosshair on for this year. So I've been using that now to try and get a lot more of that first person action as much as i can yeah i've noticed that and that's why i brought it up that you know it, you guys seem to be getting a good balance now of or jumping into someone's cockpit when it, when it shows a nice perspective and it's a, a tight fight where it could go either way and i re i'm really enjoying that being able to get in view when it's relevant so bandit um you did mention uh metcon there and, and uh, you guys have done uh two now is that right this will be our third coming up. Yeah, third coming up. Is there, with shoutcasting um, at Metcon, is there 
you know, particular challenges or, you know, do you and MD uh, have to sit down and plan for it? You know, well, what's the production value there and, and you know, what's the experience uh, like shoutcasting at Mekon? Well, to be perfectly honest, uh, I feel like we pretty much did it just like we do all of our casts. We we do everything improv, fly by the seat of our pants. Literally, the only script I have isn't even a script, but it's basically my opener. And you'll, you'll probably notice my openers are pretty common. It's kind of our shtick now. You know, greetings, Mech Warriors, and welcome to Mech Warrior Online World Championship 2018 semifinals. I am Bandit P17, and with me, as always, is MDM0. That's the only scripted thing I really do. Everything else is just just filling gaps and just talking for the sake of talking to fill air trying to keep it interesting and you know coming from i'm i've had massive social anxiety all through high school and stuff so it's like i don't know where any of this is coming from it's must be because it's an exciting topic to me well it's 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 easy and to talk about something that you're passionate about right yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to is I, I would not be able to do this for anything else, really. Just, uh, you know, I don't do public speaking at all. But MechWarrior Online, it was it really did become a passion. I think that comes through in the casts, and I think that's probably one of the best things about it. You know, we, we talked about it before, about that authenticity, but, you know, the passion there as well um, that drives it. I mean, you go through the same process uh, when you're at MetCon, and that probably makes everything easier. But, uh, you know, is there that tournament atmosphere there you know are there nervous players walking around or that kind of thing does any of that energy kind of seep through to you guys as well well i think it's it's fantastic like a fantastic atmosphere like i'm nervous as hell going into cast we do of course get get into the groove after the getting the first couple out of the way but uh seeing the players around and talking to them everybody's relatively chill i don't see people being all that nervous maybe they're just not showing it outwardly but you know it's like these players are just they're they know there's they they know they belong there you know they know that they are there to win and they know that you know it's awesome that they've gotten as far as they have but they want to get get that number one spot and they're ready to do the job so i don't see a lot of nervous ticks or anything everybody you've got especially in the last couple of years you've got people sitting with laptops huddled around in a in a hotel room trying to scrimmage on site kind of thing you know everybody's there to do a job really awesome. And it'll be really interesting to see having the tournament split into two days, whether or not that changes anything uh, with just the dynamic, because everybody had to kind of cram it into one day. But now they have an option, opportunity to kind of review and talk about it amongst each other. And they always had a green room for each team. So everyone could still go into a private area and talk amongst each other uh, and, and stuff. But now they're gonna have a little bit more time to do that. It'll be interesting to see, you know, you, can you see a team start off a little bit rough and then somehow come back and, and start doing amazing. Mm. Like it's been mentioned, this is going to be the third time that some of those teams have been there, but there's at least one team who ha hasn't been through this before. So they might have, you know, a little bit of a different experience to the other two. And that probably is a, uh, a wonderful segue to talk about those teams. Um, you mentioned Captain, that of course a couple have been there already uh, and everyone will be familiar with uh, EMP, Imperial and uh, Eon Synergy. Uh, and this year, uh, congratulations to JGX, uh, who are the third team um, contesting it. It would be cool, Bandit and uh, MD, if we could go through each of those teams and uh, maybe just get your thoughts 
on a few different things. Uh, I guess maybe what has led them there, you know, any key moments or or any key pathways for them, and then your thoughts basically on you know the composition of their teams, um, you know what they're good at, you know particular pilots' strengths, weaknesses, or, or things that they do. So. I know that is a lot um, to throw at you, but uh, maybe if we can start with Eon, um, can you tell us uh, about Eon and um, you know what you expect from them this year? So I'm not sure how many people remember how close Eon Synergy was last year to winning the World Championships. They actually forced a tie-breaking round against Imperial, uh, handing Imperial their literally their first loss throughout the tournament and. Uh, you know, they basically come back this year with an identical roster. I mean, it's the same. They're bringing back Lizzie, you know, X Chico, Zelaglock, Funky Cat, Hardock, Daru, Colonel O'Neill, the Red Goes to Fasta. I mean, this is this team is the same team we've seen in the last two years. And uh, from what we've seen out of them this year in the semifinals, they are a machine. This, if this is not your your pick, your favorite, uh, if you're taking odds to win the world championships, I don't know what you've been watching. Eon Synergy has not lost a beat. Um, frankly, they're terrifying in a way. I mean, they made it look easy playing, and just uh, you know, looking at some of the stats here, they played two rounds, four drops, which means they won. Both times, you know, both drops out of both rounds. So they they're four and zero in the semifinals, and in those four, keep in mind these are eight eight v eight total damage. For example, by Lizzie, two thousand three hundred twenty eight damage done in four matches in an eight v eight. I mean, that's unbelievable. I, I don't even know how you do that. I mean, this team is just phenomenal uh, across the board. Some of the best players in the game. I said it in the semifinals and I feel like I jinxed him a little bit because he didn't have as good of a round as I normally get out of it. But the red goes to faster, in my opinion, best light pilot in the game. Uh, you know, this team is just stacked. Honestly, to me, they're the they're the favorites going in. Um, so we'll have to see if another team can knock them off. But I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I think uh if they didn't go into that uh, last year with the stress of trying to get X Chico to not miss his flight too, I think uh, they might, would have done a little bit better, been a little bit more, because uh, I don't know how you miss a flight international flight nowadays, but uh, mm-hmm. he missed it. And I think from what I heard, uh, so he missed the, the PGI paid for flight. I think his team ended up all pooling their money and buying him an emergency ticket to get him in town. And he definitely pulled his weight. I mean, he he did some work out there, but uh, ex Chico, set your alarm this time, man. So um, Ian obviously have that um cohesion there from from you know maintaining that that um same team, and you know you've talked about just how good the the pilots are and they are as a team. Do they have any weaknesses? If they are going to get taken down, you know, what would the other two teams need to do? Well, uh, that's a great question. <laughs> You know, it's tough to say. One of the key modifiers here that we've talked about throughout the semifinals, Eon Synergy is maybe the one team this hasn't visibly affected, but uh, this is stock mode. Stock mode plays differently than the previous six plus years of competitive gaming that these players have seen in MechWarrior Online. And the biggest thing that it plays differently is mechs move slower 
they take longer to kill because there's less pinpoint firepower on the field uh, and the ranges are lower because there's not all of the ER weaponry that people are used to using. The only thing that I can think of if you want to try and take Eon Synergy down is trying to do a very good, well-run cap strat. We've seen cap strats be very effective in stock mode. But that being said, typically your primary uh, driver in a cap strat is being able to win a light fight. Uh, that usually is required unless the other team messes up uh, big time, which Eon Synergy is not going to do. And as I just pointed out with Dered uh, and you know going on here, I think he's the best light pilot in the game. And yeah, I just don't see a team out there that's got better lights than Eon Synergy does. Like that, you know, better pilots, even. I mean, Imperial has some great players, uh, but it's definitely uh, definitely a tough, tough assignment. I think maybe Capstride is where you get in the advantage because I, I just don't see a way that you're going to out trade Eon Synergy. Nice. Yeah. So, sounds like a daunting task. And, you know, I guess it, it's a sign of how good they are as a team and uh, as pilots that they kind of haven't missed a beat uh, in going to stock mode uh, and still kind of been able to dominate and potentially even dominate more than, than normal. You've mentioned a couple of stars there. Um, I guess it sounds as though they have an advantage maybe in, in lights and, and everything that comes with uh, that for comp. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of key pilots there. So if we were t- talking about pilots to watch out for for Eon, um, Dared, anyone else? Lizzie? The Red, Lizzie. I personally really like Colonel O'Neill as a player. Uh, in those four drops that he had, he had eight kills. I think he's uh, a very good sharpshooter. Um, I believe they usually played him in the Hunchback uh, 4P, a little bit more of a close-range fire support mech, kind of holding down some cap points, uh, engaging light mechs is kind of the role that we've seen out of the Hunchback 4P in stock mode so far, but eight kills and four drops uh, on an 8v8 is pretty fantastic, especially when you're playing on an eight-person team of all-stars, basically. Uh, so Colonel, Neil, Lizzie, and Dered would be probably my picks for it, and I'm probably going to hear from the other five guys uh, from Eon Synergy about why they weren't on that list. Yeah, honestly, I think you can pretty much read off the entire roster, though, because the every I've seen every single person on that team produce. And, you know, I when I'm reading off uh, scoreboards at the end here, you know, we'll we'll call out outliers or people who do fantastic or people who do absolutely terrible. And, you know, Ian Synergy, you've got those. 200 to 300 damage matches for every single player on the team. Every single player did work. Nobody was necessarily an all-star. That's, in my opinion, the key to winning here. You don't need that MVP Aaron Rodgers out there and then having a whole bunch of injured players that can't even get off the bench. It's not going to win you a Super Bowl, you know what I mean? So, you know, you got to have a solid core team with everybody contributing. And we see some big plays out of some big player, key players like Darred and, and stuff like that, where we'll shout their name a bunch. But every single person's doing their job because in MechWarrior Online, if somebody drops the ball, the whole team falls for it. You know, everybody goes down flaming because you can't be down seven eight you know you you need to have everybody holding their angles holding their lines and you know you need that heat bar available on the match yeah it's, it's real phalanx warfare isn't it that um just get that keep pushing until you find that weakness and then once that one goes down uh, it can really snowball pretty quickly 
I mean, Eon, obviously, from what you're saying, are a complete powerhouse, um, you know, filled with, with monsters of the game. So from one powerhouse to the next, uh, let's talk a little bit about EMP. Um, they are a little bit different this year. You know, where do you think the advantage lies for them if they are going to take it? Um, you know, what, what's it going to come down to for uh, EMP? Well, to start with, just to throw it out there, the challenges that I think EMP are facing and are going to have to work through, uh, I believe it was only four out of their 12-man roster came back again this year. So it is a very, very fresh team. Those four players obviously are are big names like Seleth. You know, he's the, the team leader. We've actually seen him playing a different role this time, though, where Ian Synergy, a lot of them are playing roles they're familiar with and are good at, like Dot Red in a light. Uh, Seleth being playing a lot more in a light mech nowadays has been a, a big change. You know, it's how much is that impacting the team that he's not in the role that he's typically playing you don't have like an arara in a light who is an absolute madman the last couple seasons here uh so there's a lot of big shakeups there in the roster uh and on top of everything when you've got eight new people on a team you have to get a synergy with them you have to get uh you have to start working together as a team. You have to get a rapport with each other. You have to learn each other's tendencies. You need to be able to play off each other. And it takes time to develop that. Eon Synergy, they've been doing this consistently for, for many years and three years in the world championship here. They don't have to work on that anymore. They've got that. They could probably play together in their sleep at this point. EMP, they have to figure this stuff out. And we've seen the situations where that's, kind of been like on a megaphone where clearly they're just not used to each other right now because we saw some big mistakes made in which they actually dropped matches some they ended up in the losers bracket for pretty much the first time it was it was completely unexpected but i think there's a good reason for that not saying that they can't overcome those by the time metcon comes up uh but that's definitely in my opinion what they need to be focusing on is really learning each other and playing enough with each other to be able to almost finish each other's sentences at this point they're going to need it i mean obviously that team cohesion is is hugely important in any game but but mech warrior and and comp takes that to that next level um md i mean emp and their stats i mean how do they compare against eon um pilot for pilot the fun part of it, right, is that at the end of the day, it's still Imperial. They can still pull the best players in the game back into their team. Uh, obviously, Eon Synergy has that synergy. They've been playing together for a while, and they've got some great pilots. It's not like Imperial doesn't have great pilots. As Bandit said, they're just kind of lacking that cohesion. But some of the new faces on this team, you're talking about Chimera and Reckless coming in and basically leading the team both in average damage uh, with almost 600 damage a game for Chimera again in 8v8 and in a stock mode. Remember stock mode, there's also less armor on the field. So there's less damage available Mm. and reckless at almost 500 damage a game. And between the two of them, 30 kills in nine matches is, is pretty fantastic. So there's, as we said, a bunch of new faces, but it's not like these new faces are a bunch of nobodies that, that can't play bandit touched on it i think that the biggest thing for me looking at imperial has been honestly the drop calling which is a little bit of a shocker and it's not through any fault of Seleth, the the team leader for imperial uh, who is a fantastic drop caller but as bandit said he's he's put in a tough role i mean he's calling 
from a light unless they picked up a secondary drop caller that they're using he would be calling from a light mech and that's such such a hard role to do even for a really talented player and i think we've seen that uh, cost them in some matches where they are the more skilled team but the lack of cohesion has has wound up uh, hurting them we've seen it uh in the past uh, just from my experience with imperial in years past once they have that synergy and that cohesion they almost don't even need to say anything in in their voice comms. The, there isn't a lot of calling that goes on. Everybody's kind of in their role, and they mention, like, I see a guy here or something like that, or they're making calls of locations, and based on that information, it's almost like everybody's their individual drop caller, and knows based on the massive amount of practice they've been doing exactly how to respond to that. So their strategies in the past, especially on, like, Canyon Network, it was an impenetrable strategy because they would just keep doing the same thing every time and then play a very responsive game. Like they, from the very first mech they see, they know exactly what their opponent's doing and they know exactly how to respond. And a lot of that was not only the practice, but it was them knowing each other's role and what each other's expectations are and that synergy. And I think that if you start to lose that or don't have that with your new crew, you probably have to do more drop calling to make up for that. And if their drop caller, like you said, is in a light, it is so challenging to be able to do that. So if they can get back to the point they were at before where they basically don't even need to talk to each other and they just know how to execute based on the information they're given, I think they can be right back to their old sorts. I think, you know, if you watch the chat during those EMP games, you'd see a lot of their fans or even you know ex-team members or whatever saying oh well this isn't the real emp or um or it's stock mode that's to blame and various things like that but there's the, the little bit of the unknown in this tournament and the dark horse which is um first jaguar guards potentially a little bit sort of underrated in this like I, i've seen people sort of talk about it as if first jaguar guards didn't win emp lost but the way I actually see it is, is and, and you know, I'm saying this is inviting your feedback, is that JGX did a really, really good, re- good read of how EMP have been playing and then developed a counter perfectly, you know, played to their weaknesses. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're, you're half right on, on both sides there. I, I think, one, this isn't the EMP we're used to because EMP, like Eon, has just historically been such a machine. That being, and people saying, you know, maybe they lost it or it's stock mode that's hurting them. You know, stock mode, for me, the biggest takeaway is in a competitive scene, you're playing Conquest, right? And that map forces action because if you just park up in a spot and you're just engaging, the other team can go cap some points and you'll lose unless you do something about it. In normal play, when you have the mech lab available to you, mechs are a lot faster. And one of the things that gains you advantage of is that you can wipe out the other team without paying attention to caps. And then you can go back cap everything because you can move faster. Stock mode takes that away. So it it doesn't force you to do anything really differently so much as it changes all of your timing. And so it reduces your margin for error. And so... To say that stock mode is what caused EMP to have problems isn't true. Stock mode highlighted the problems that EMP were having because their margin for error was a lot smaller. I think JGX 
among being a good team. And it's not like JGX hasn't been around before. It's just they've had, you know, some roster turnover. They've had some issues uh, internally that have caused problems in the past, but they're still good players and they've always been really good players. But I think they identified, you know, the struggle that Imperial's been having and realized that taking advantage of that lack of margin for error uh, would help them. And it certainly did. I mean, that was an upset, certainly at least looking at the two teams in name. Uh, they did get out-traded, but they traded smart. And that's the thing. I think people, when they see that result, um, the particular match we're talking about where JGX secured a, round in, uh, secured a spot in the finals by beating Imperial, uh, Imperial winding up with more mechs than JGX, people see that and they say, oh, well, you know, Imperial threw it away. They lost the trades, so they lost the trades because they were, one, outmanned because they were backcapping, but two, they weren't necessarily caring about winning the trades. It was all about protecting their mechs and surviving for as long as possible, which they did, and it played in the hands of their strategy. I think that's nuances like that um, you know, come about with, one, playing the game, obviously, as we talked about in the opening. Bandit and I have a lot of competitive experience uh, at various levels, not necessarily at this level, but still that competitive experience, but also just watching it and knowing the nuance of these players aren't just aiming at a target and shooting it. It's all about positioning your mech, but not just positioning your mech, but you know what components are exposed behind uh, this terrain right now? You know What weapons are clear of the terrain? What weapons are covered by the terrain? How can I twist my torso to get back under that terrain in the shortest amount of time little nuances like that that a casual player may not realize but these competitive players have to keep in mind if they want to get to this point and jgx did a fantastic job of doing that in that match yeah it's not like these guys haven't been playing for six months on with this rule set though it's not like this has just been dumped on these guys they've had plenty of time to work on it they you know the old style you could you could say that they've been playing it for years and they're used to you know pop tart trades and stuff like that and uh so this is definitely newer but it's not like they're just being tossed in saying good luck. They've, they've had opportunities to scrim. And so I think an emphasis on how they do their scrimmages and stuff like that might've played into it. I know that Imperial traditionally, they've done a lot of internals. So they, they bolster their roster with a lot of really great players. And then they do a lot of internal scrimmages where they learn, learn amongst, amongst themselves. Ian synergy, I believe, uh, does a lot of outside scrimmages. Like they'll play other teams, get fresh looks at different strategies that can be used against them. So in the past, the, especially when you only had to really worry about one map, like Canyon network or, one or two maps like Canyon Network and uh, uh, Tormline Desert and stuff like that, you can just sit there and do these internals and learn every single nook and cranny. Uh, now, though, there's a lot of maps here that are pretty solid, and any one of those maps could get selected here in at MechCon, uh, which has been fantastic, I think, for this year from a spectating perspective that there's been all five maps in pretty regular rotation here mm. and it hasn't been a forced rotation either the, these teams are choosing these maps and so these guys really need to be ready to play on every single one of these maps because they are going to need strats in their book for every single one I mean to sum that up it sounds like what you're saying is that um, EMP can match it pilot for pilot but 
some of the challenge that they may have is around some of those finer points and around the strats and kind of as Cap pointed out, perhaps we did see JGX uh, take advantage of that to, to beat them in the in the semis. For EMP though, um, just before we start talking about the Italian Stallions and, and their um, chances, particular pilots uh, that you think uh, people should watch out for in the finals for EMP? Bowser. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's there's some very good pilots on there. I, I made mention of Camara and, and Reckless doing very, very well with 30 combined kills, which I, I don't even know how that's possible. I mean, that's outrageous, right? Between two pilots and nine, nine, mat, nine matches of AV8, 30 kills is just like, come on, really? Um, but uh, kind of the other one I want to throw in there as well is File Titan, not with a lot of kills necessarily, but getting... Uh, a lot of damage out there, and he's been playing uh, the Archer a lot uh, in these drops. Archer is kind of an interesting mech for me, uh, and I, I know people have debated the merits endlessly of stock mode, and it upsets them very much that uh, LRMs get played, but that Archer also has four medium lasers on it, so it's a little more than just an LRM boat, and I think File Titan's been piling it very well, getting a lot of damage early, uh, softening mechs up, but then being a little more aggressive with it than we've seen other pilots be. Uh, so I, I like how he's been playing. Um, but to me, you know, you got to go with some of these old school guys, Bowser, Seleth, you know, guys that we know have been here in this situation before and performed in the past. Uh, you got to think that they're going to do the same this year. That, that many kills. I mean, we saw uh, just just yesterday uh, with EMP and Battle for Midway, just uh, what, what Bowser can bring. I mean, he just seems to be on a different level. So, yeah, uh, do watch for him. Uh, as the uh, as the finals progress, all right, that does bring us to the third team, and um, and Capman had just uh, talked about uh, JGX and and their success. Um, they haven't come from nowhere, as you said, they they have been around, uh, but they were maybe a little bit under the radar, I guess. Um, they found their way into the final three, and they're um, a chance to win it. I mean, same question about the other two, really. What do you think JGX would need to do uh, to win? Um, how do you like the composition of their team? You know, where do you see their strengths and weaknesses? You know, cap game strong. Um, and yeah, what are the what are the pilots that they have that uh, you think the listeners should watch out for? I think they need to avoid internal drama as much as humanly possible because I'm pretty sure that's what's been bringing them down the last few years. They they're definitely an older team in that a lot of these guys have been around for a very long time and there are a lot of very talented pilots, but it always seems like they get hamstrung by just internal drama. You know, we we've seen a lot of stuff attached to their name in the past and, and stuff like that. It's the infamous, infamous 10 V one and stuff like that. <laughs> things, things like that, where it's just like, just get your head in the game and just get the job done and, and, you know, try and, play like a team you know back to the synergy thing and stuff like that they need to to really be comfortable with each other if they want to have any hope of overcoming eon synergy yeah i think jgx you know they've they've shown at least in the semifinals from what we've seen and what we've seen four drops from them four wins uh solid wins and and really the two big ones over imperial seems like they've maybe gotten over the hump a little bit with some of their problems uh playing some 
more team oriented uh, strategies and kind of this uh, delaying back cap sort of strat, which is what they've been running. And they run an aggressive back cap. This is not just a, we're going to sit back and take a three, two cap and just slowly bleed you away. It's we're going to take a four or a five cap if we can, and just have our main body just constantly be trying to delay, delay, delay. And that's, it's such an interesting strategy. It's it's much more aggressive and capping than we've seen out of a lot of the teams in the semifinals. And obviously it worked really well for them. I mean, they they had a four cap on Imperial for a lot of those matches, during a lot of those matches. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of their jam. They're going to have to do that times 100 uh, in the finals, I think, to beat Eon Synergy because it's all going to come down to how long can their main body protect themselves. And that's what we talked about a little bit before. Um, but this concept of it's more than just trading. Right. Trading just, you know, people hear that and they say, oh, I've got to shoot the enemy and not get shot back. Well, I mean, yeah, OK, that's that's it. But there's a lot more to it in terms of how you use your terrain to protect yourself, to protect your teammates, how you protect each other by putting fire down, um, how you time your peaks so that you're not peaking at the same time or you're peaking at different times and you're not peaking when you're being expected to peak. Uh, things like that are all very, very important. And JGX did a very good job against Imperial doing that. Against Eon Synergy, they're going to have to do it even more so. You know, they've had a lot of pilots do very well. Kind of the fun one uh, is, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm totally going to mess up his name. So I'm just going to go with Crass. Krasnopiski. He's been playing the Wolfhound throughout the tournament in the semifinals. And in a Wolfhound, in four drops, he has five kills, 1,500 damage. I mean, that's fantastic he leads the team in kills and damage in a wolfhound i mean the wolfhound's a solid stock mech it really is but at the end of the day when you have assault mechs on the field to be leading the team like that and the fact that they've been running cap strats i mean the wolfhound you know yeah okay you're getting some damage in and stuff but you also might be expected to go get some caps he has been playing lights out so far in this tournament you follow up with some of those guys like pasha as well and the black knight now he's one of the main body players he's trying to trade delay 1500 damage for him he's actually only one damage behind krasnopesky so uh you know i'm sure he would like to get an extra couple damage from him and take that take that title away for the team but they're gonna have to do what they did against imperial to the next level uh, to beat Eon Synergy, I think Imperial suffered a bit from their lack of cohesion and and JGX was able to take advantage of that and basically get more caps and speed up the match a little bit more. I don't think they're going to be able to do that as effectively against Eon Synergy just because of the teamwork with Eon. So JGX is going to have to have you know every player, especially on that main body group, which basically as far as they played, and, and they could bring out a totally different strat, but as far as they played, that's a entirely delaying action group, and they're just going to have to be on the top of their game to do it. JGX, in my opinion, did a really good read of EMP's strategies that they've been using in the world championship thus far and that um if they if they're going to want to take the whole thing they're going to have to do a similar kind of deep dive on eon and potentially bring a whole a completely different strategy to counter them what that strategy is i i, I wouldn't know but potentially there is some read there that you could make with some uh, with some research and and get under their skin 
think that's uh, one of the biggest merits of stock mode. And I know there's a lot of complaints about stock mode uh, from the players for the most part, but one of the things I do find unique is that there seems to be a lot more reading going on and a lot more strat counter strat going on more so than we've ever seen in the past. Cause we've seen, you know, the Imperial powerhouse, like I was saying earlier, where they just play the same strat over and over and over again, but they do it so well that it's impenetrable. Now I think there is a, a, an opportunity, almost like a rock, paper, scissors where, uh, you know, cap strat beats lerms, lerms beats, uh, you know, poke and, poke beats cap strat or something like that you know i'm just throwing that out there is like this is almost like the good old days where you had to prepare for everything because they could brawl you or they could mid-range push you or they could long range er large or they you know all these crazy things that can happen and we're like what are they gonna do i don't know then it got to the point where it's like well we know exactly what they're gonna do but nobody can do anything about it now we're almost coming back to the i have no idea what's gonna happen i have no idea what they're going to bring and i don't have any idea how they're going to execute and the only way we can find out is by watching and it's exciting i love that yeah it is really exciting and um i guess probably when we're talking about those three teams um bandit and mdm you've talked about um eon with probably the the team cohesion advantage uh emp with potentially a, a pilot skill advantage and we've um maybe just said that jgx are at least coming in uh, with a little bit of a strat advantage um so yeah it'd be interesting to see the kind of asymmetric balance what that happens there the rock scissors paper uh and see kind of which which beats which uh, but just before we do leave um jgx you did mention um Kras, you did mention pasha they sound like pilots to watch out for you know there is a ton of, of talented um pilots uh, obviously across that team and across the board so yeah we'll we'll encourage the listeners to keep an eye out for those i would say that Dario is actually one of my favorite light pilots in this comp so far. He is, he's done some really amazing carries uh, for his team. And I mean, you, you can't, you can't ignore data either um, amongst JGX. He's the godfather of the team. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Those were probably my next two uh, to, to point out Dario and, and data for different reasons. Data playing, you know, very well, 1300 damage and four drops is, is very good. Uh, Dario with a, a, a little, little bit lower on the damage side, but that's because he's been playing a locust. It does have five kills, which ties him for the lead. But again, we talked about JGX with their strats, focusing on that cap strat, and cap strats puts a huge amount of strain on your light pilots. A huge amount. We've seen it throughout the semifinals, strats where teams looked fantastic positioning. You know, they've got the upper hand, they're running a cap strat or whatever, and the lights you know, make a mistake, they get caught out, something like that, and the whole match goes to heck. There is just a ton of pressure on those light pilots. Dario has done a fantastic job uh, holding up on that. And, and yeah, I think JGX for me is the wild card coming into this. I kind of know, got a good read on what Imperial has right now. I think I know where they can be, what they could evolve to. Uh, we obviously know where Eon is, and, and I'm not sure I expect to see anything different from what we've seen, but that would be terrifying if I was the other two teams and you know, JTX is the kind of the wild card, right? They're, they're in here 
uh, like we talked about a little bit with kind of this more strat oriented thing. They they got into Imperial's head and kind of figured out the way to beat them. And it'll be interesting to see if they can do that again. Yeah, I mean, I have to echo um, Bandit's uh, sentiments there that it is really exciting uh, that we might have this, uh, yeah, this play of different strengths against different weaknesses and, um, you know, just tossing it into to the mix to see who can execute uh, and which one comes out on top. So that is a, a nice segue, I guess, that the next thing that would, um, we'd kind of want to talk to you about is what strats we might see for the finals. Uh, you guys have alluded to a few already, um, but it would be great um, you know, to chat a little bit about we have seen certain things, will we continue to see those kind of strats, or um, you know, our team's going to need to do something new uh, to take this year's champs? Well, the first strat, first and foremost, is the map ban. Um, I believe the map ban is occurring the same way it did on the semis. I haven't heard otherwise. I know that they were originally intending for maps to fall off the ban list after you pick them so they can't be picked twice in the same series. Uh, But that feature was never implemented, so they are doing the same format as last year. But you've got a bit of a strategy involved there, especially with these five maps all being very competitive, very interesting maps to see and play on. Uh, What map would you rather fight your opponent on? And I think we're going to see potentially a difference here from one team to the next, like EMP versus Eon or EMP versus JGX. We might see them wanting to play on a different map set than the other team, you know? And so they're going to be banning the maps that they think the other team is the strongest at, and they're going to end up having their strong maps banned, and we're going to end up on this common map. But that common map might be different based on the strats that they're most familiar with. Uh, obviously, Grimplexus seems to be the biggest cap strat mat out of all of them so teams that are extremely good at cap stratting if they're up against a team that's not as good at cap stratting that might get banned right off the bat or it might be the map that gets picked and we're going to see this crazy light battle where they just vie for control over a huge vast distance from each other it's that's that's going to be the first thing i think that they need to figure out is where do they feel the most comfortable and they're going to basically need to pick three maps out of all of them because they can Mm -hmm. consistently ban two but they're going to need to pick three maps and they're going to become have to become experts at all the three of those maps if they want to have any chance of winning md what do you think we'll see bandit definitely touched on that's that's the first game kind of to play right the second is what mechs you bring and we've seen some differences uh there, there actually has been a decent amount of deck variety in terms of what you kind of focus your deck around we've seen imperial bringing a pretty substantial number of lrms to be honest which is uh, definitely a, a difference from previous competitive uh, seasons and tournaments, but you know that that kind of option, whether you go with, um, in my opinion, either a, more of an engagement, a trading strat, or more of a cap strat, kind of dictates what mediums you bring, and that's kind of the biggest swing we see. Uh, we've seen a lot of teams bring phoenix hawks for example as kind of like an additional fast moving medium uh to to help you know support your light mechs on the field uh we've seen you know phoenix hawks things like that being brought but we've also seen teams bringing the hunchback 4p which is definitely a slower mech but has a lot more firepower and a lot of pinpoint damage with all those medium lasers on it um and so it's kind of that's the first or the second, I guess, major trade-off is are we running a little bit more of a wolf pack, fast, mediums, lights, uh, cap strat sort of thing? Or are we going to run more of a trading deck? 
And then once you get into the trading deck, it, are we going to run pinpoint? Or are we going to run long range? Because the only long range weapon you really have is LRMs. Uh, everything else tops out about 500, 600 meters. Um, you don't have ER PPCs, don't have ER large lasers. You've got large lasers and PPCs. And so you can go with that pinpoint deck, but you're kind of mid-range at that point. Uh, if you want to go long range, you've got to bring LRMs. You can put a lot of firepower down range. Um, but obviously the trade-off there is you don't have to pinpoint damage and cover is, is definitely a, a much more valuable thing uh, against those weapon systems. And then if you're going to go pinpoint, are you going to go fast or slow? Because we've seen several times where they say, I'm going to bring the me best mech in uh, out of all of our choices, which is the Annihilator. But then you're moving at the pace of the Annihilator. If you have to do any sort of rotation in any way, shape, or form, you're moving at the speed of the Annihilator. You can't just abandon him. So yep, it's happened 32. several times, several times where the Annihilator has slowed the entire team down and they get, they paid for it. Then mm -hmm. we've seen teams ditch the Annihilator, bring much faster assaults, or maybe spread out their tonnage a little bit more. And that's worked in their favor because now they have the freedom to leverage control of the map or play against the enemy annihilator or even catch the enemy annihilator out as they rotate too fast. And, uh, and that's, that's a definitely a, a big decision that needs to be made too, because anytime we saw the annihilator on the field, we, we know that they're not going anywhere fast. And if the annihilator is on the field, he's almost always holding that W key down nonstop. If there's any even hint that their team's going to have to move to a new position. That being said, in stock mode, the last thing you want to see is coming over a hill and you've got an annihilator, the, uh, what is it, the AC-10 annihilator. And there's two annihilators that are being brought here. There's a 4 AC-10 one and a 4 PPC one. Yeah, 1A and 1E. If you come over the hill and you see either one, but if you see annihilator 1A with 4 AC-10s and you're in a stock mech, goodbye. <laughs> That's the trade-off. That's why you bring it in that in that scenario but those decisions have to be made right are you going to post up with uh, a lot of firepower and the annihilator and some of these other um slower mechs or are you going to be a little more mobile and and choose not to bring that firepower tell you what though if you uh if you are on a team that has an annihilator and that annihilator is right where he needs to be in the front of the pack and you decide to call a push the Annihilator is a fantastic push mech. It's not a good side peak mech, but if it's out there and it's putting that damage downfield, uh, you got people pissing themselves as that thing marches towards them. And if you got him out in front and the rest of you can start swarming around him, you, you've basically written your own check. So guys, one thing um, that I think at least stock has brought, and you guys have alluded to it with um, kind of the variations that you've talked about that we might see. Um, do you think that potentially the different strats that will need to be brought, the different options, the different thinking, do you think that that's maybe what PGI were aiming at when they looked at stock mode was just to uh, have the teams put the teams in a different position that they'll need to think a little bit different? Uh, you know, that things move, move a little bit slower, the ranges are a bit different, you know, that kind of thing? I'm not sure if they necessarily had an ulterior motive about it at all. I think mostly they just wanted something different. I think yeah. they got a lot of feedback from a lot of uh, non-competitive players saying, you know, that's well and good, but 
that's not necessarily gameplay that we can relate relate to you know so they probably just wanted something different on the field now we've got this pretty much the same teams and the same high skilled players on the field so it's not like we've had beer league teams somehow make it to the finals or anything like that i don't don't think anybody really actually thought that that was going to happen we're going to have the competitive players make it to the end but uh, you know they just wanted to mix it up and i think they got what they wanted Mm -hmm. they got a new map set where every map's been used so far, which has been awesome. Uh, so far, the the feedback from spectators, non-competitive spectators, and even competitive spectators um, has been positive. It's been fun to watch. It's been exciting. It's been a blast to cast. It's been, you know, I've, I've probably yelled more while casting the semifinals than I've ever yelled in any of my shout casting because it's been that exciting and there's big plays going on and, and and big pushes and exciting things happening on the field. And that's, it, it's, I think stock mode had a big play in that. Now I'm not a huge stock mode fan, but I'm yeah. definitely reaping the decision that was made. I'm reaping the rewards of that. So it's, it's tough because on one hand it's like, I don't, I don't think I could ever play stock mode because I think it would be agonizing to play. It probably is agonizing for these guys to play because they're used to pinpoint front loaded damage and they're used to just making big big shots and ripping torsos off with a well-placed skill shot and stuff like that it's gotten to be a little bit more of a dps grind and a little bit more slower smarter gameplay but it's probably agonizing to play but at the same time it's a hell of a lot of fun to watch yeah, so I mean, PG kind of wanted to achieve a difference, um, and and that's happened, um, and that yeah, it can be a little bit tough on the players, but yeah, the the spectacle is there. Um, it has slowed things down a little bit. Um, Captain, would you agree? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just like we've talked about the speed being so low, and then and then every everything's got you know single heat sinks and <laughs> and and uh, weird assortments of weapons that you can use some of at any one time so dps for in a lot of cases not in all cases but in a lot of cases is lower i mean we talked about the annihilator with the quad ac10 is still able to put out the normal amounts of damage whereas contrary to that the armor is still all there in the in the mix that the people are bringing so i think pgi have at least captured the essence of of what they were trying to achieve which was for it to be different um you know and it it's it's gets me excited to hear you guys talk about what we might see and, you know, counter-strat versus counter-strat and, and some of the, um, you know, unique considerations around range and, and armor and all of those kind of things. So, yeah, at least I think the essence of change has been there. The spectacle uh, has been amazing, obviously, uh, including the fact that the casting has been good and, and the um, skill of the players has been so fantastic in, in embracing the challenge. Everyone will be looking forward to that and I think everyone will also be looking forward to We're going to put you on the spot a little bit here, Bandit and MD. What, do you th- what are your predictions for the finals? Uh, you know, who do you think will win and why? Uh, and, you know, what do you think will be the major thing that we will see? What will be the major difference maker uh, at uh, these World Champs? Well, I, I don't think I've been shy about this throughout the semifinals and and even in this podcast, but uh, it's Eon Synergy. Uh, I think they're the favorites. Uh, I think it's a pretty simple reason why. It's the same team that was one match away from winning last year. Uh, they picked up right where they've left off. It doesn't seem like stock mode has thrown them for a loop at all. And they've got that cohesiveness that used was what made imperial so dangerous uh in that 
they know they played together so much. They know what each other are doing. They know what they're supposed to be doing. And there's really not a lot that needs to happen in terms of adjustments in game. Uh, they just know what to do. And at the top of it, they're just fantastic players. Um, I think if in, Eon Synergy does not win, it will be an upset. I think the team that has the best chance is Imperial if they can figure out the problems they've had. But again, we talked about it uh, earlier, and I think it remains true. JGX is, is the wild card in this just because we've not seen them in this situation before. And, and so they bring something potentially new uh, to the finals. You know, I, uh, I can't deny that Eon Synergy is looking like a powerhouse right now. They are looking extremely strong, like you said. But you know me. I like the spice. I like the excitement. I like the underdogs. I like the Isengrims. And uh, I, I got to go with JGX just coming in as the unknown. Uh, if they can keep it together and if they can come in with some unique strategies uh, and some game plans here to really make these other two teams uncomfortable, uh, I think they can pull it off. It'll be if they do pull it off. I think it's going to be like you said, it will most likely be an upset. Uh, and I think it will be the most exciting moment pretty much in Mech Warrior Online history if they can pull that off. And I'm honestly, I'd love to see it. I'm I'm going to go in and I'm going to kind of be secretly cheering for him a little bit. And uh, we'll have to see whether or not that bias shows through, but I've got, I am not sponsored by JGX in any way. You might be surprised, but uh, <laughs> come on, Bender, descending past your way. You can disclose <laughs> it. But no, I I I want to see him succeed. I love watching teams come out of nowhere here and succeed. And Eon Synergy, it won't be surprising if they pull this off. Even Imperial, just because they've been there before, even with just a couple of their pilots. But the fact that they've got the name that can attract the talent. So you're up against the Eon and the EMP. You're definitely looking at like the underdogs. But I think they've got the clout to pull it off. Uh, Captain, your pick uh, for the winner of uh, this year's World Champs? Mm, I mean, there's been some really good points made. Like I said, total disclosure. I, know, I mean, I'm good friends with some of the people in the JGX team, so I'll be rooting for them uh, no matter what. Like you say, the bit of the dark horse so that attracts me to to supporting them, even even if it wasn't for that fact. All right, guys. Well, um, thank you so much for your time today. We very much look forward to seeing you cast um, or hearing you cast and, and seeing you on stream uh, enjoy metcon um, we hope the uh, tournament is good and the and the two days is good uh, and for those of us that aren't able to make it uh, do make sure that you uh, log on to twitch and uh, check out the stream uh, in particular make sure you don't miss any of these matches so thanks again guys and uh, yeah look forward to chatting again yeah lovely talking to you guys we'll see you guys at metcon it's going to be a blast thanks for having us guys Reporting task complete.
If you did enjoy this content, then please consider supporting us. You can do this in a multitude of ways, including subscribing to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leaving reviews, as well as subscribing to us on YouTube and liking our videos. You can also support us by sending us feedback, either through comments, tweets, or directly through email. Tweet and follow us on Twitter at IncomingP, or email us directly at IncomingMissilePodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us directly by becoming a patron or sponsor. You can find us on Patreon at Incoming Missile Podcast and choose one of three tiers of support. Patrons not only get mentioned on the podcast and get access to exclusive content, but can even join us as a guest host on the podcast. You can also opt to sponsor an episode through one-off donations, all of which will be used as giveaways for our listeners. So if you had a product, service or content that you'd like us to mention, contact us to discuss sponsoring an episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We look forward to hearing from you. We appreciate you listening and we'll catch you next time.